Hello everybody, this is Dr. Deanna Minnick. Welcome to the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast, where we explore how you can get some more color, creativity, and healing in your everyday life. We get to look at the spectrum of eating, living, feeling, and creating that you're all about. So let's dive into the inspiration and information rainbow that awaits us. everyone, Dr. Deanna here. You are so going to enjoy this next round of Color Can Heal Your Life. It is uh, a discussion with Anne Louise Gittleman. And for those of you who have been around the block and know the nutrition leaders in the field for the past decades, you will recognize that name without question. Anne Louise is a New York Times bestselling author of over 30 books on diet, detox, the environment, women's health. I mean, she's just written on so many different topics. And, you know, I would say that this woman is fearless. She has stood on the front lines of holistic, integrative medicine. She has voiced her truth and her truths ended up being real truths for all of us to be paying attention to. So I feel very fortunate to have interviewed her for the podcast to glean from her wisdom and to give that all over to you. So many different pearls, get your pen and paper ready to take down some notes. And here we go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Deanna. Welcome to this episode of the Color Can Heal Your Life podcast. And we have a treat today. Uh, I'm going to be discussing having a really fascinating conversation with Anne Louise Gittleman. And I've been so... Goodness, you know, have watched her over the years. She's such a, a nutrition success story and has so many excellent pearls. And just her her insight into nutrition is incredible. So I feel like it's a great honor to have this conversation with her today. So welcome, Anne Louise. Thank you, Deanna, and it's a pleasure to be with you too. Oh, how sweet! You know, I'm going to ask you a question that um, I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. I know it's a little bit of a head turning question and has almost nothing to do with nutrition, at least initially, (laughs) (laughs) but we're going to make there, we're going to connect the dots between the color and nutrition. I can already feel it. So let me ask you, what is your favorite color? And uh, maybe it's a color that you've liked throughout your life, or maybe it's a color that you just really like today. Purple. Purple. I'm a purple girl. Yes. Have you always liked purple? Purple is my favorite color. Oh. No, no, that I have not always liked purple. That's come later in life. And I was once told by a color expert that only people with great uh, compassion can wear purple. So I was very, very touched that she said that. And purple is my drama color. So when I have to do major promotional speeches or if I have to do something on television or on a video, I choose purple. Now tell me what that means. Wow. Well, you know, the way that I think of purple, at least in the seven systems of health that I teach, is that purple is the color of intuition. It's the color of the brain, the mind, the subconscious, dreams, our moods. It's a very, um, it's a spiritual color, and it connects us into the deeper realms of our being. So whenever I ask audiences about whether or not they like purple and the people that raise their hands, I'm always thinking, Ooh, they're the intuitive ones. They are the, (laughs) yeah, they're, they're soulful. And that is definitely something I would say about you. Although you're so bright too. You know, I really get the sense of gold and yellow and the warming colors for you too. 
Well, you're very intuitive, might I say, because I, I took a picture once of my aura. It was at a health show many years ago, and my aura was uh, a, a kind of yellowish, uh, yellowish, I would say, salmony. So it was very mm. gold. Mm. And, and, I, and I remember what the, uh, the fellow that did the picture said. He said, you know, you're the only one here in this whole, in this whole convention who has this kind of aura. I said, well, what does it mean? What does it mean? Many, many years ago. And he said, well, you're very childlike, very intuitive, very idealistic. I said, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was a very interesting insight. So I think you're very right on in what you're saying. Well, and it sounds like you've maintained that uh, radiant childlike spirit, uh, because that's what I'm getting for you now. And it sounds like you had that done years ago. So it sounds like this is just, this is who you are at your core, which is beautiful. Very sweet. Thank you. You know, Anne Louise, I'm so curious about your personal path and, and how you got into nutrition. Would you mind giving us kind of a, a general snapshot of, of your life. You know, what was your entry point? How did you get intrigued with, with food? Oh, my entry point was my skin, not my weight, uh, interestingly enough. And I always had very sensitive skin, Deanna, even as a, uh, an adolescent, as a teen. And I noted early on that what I ate affected what my skin looked like, whether that was a blemish, whether that was a rash, whether that was a pimple. So I learned to be very disciplined. And then as the years went on, I read quite a bit about health and nutrition, starting with Adele Davis, who in the 70s was the only voice out there talking about health and healing and how we handled stress. And so I became very, very involved with taking all kinds of supplements that she suggested, whether it was brewer's yeast or tiger's milk, and even linoleic acid for my essential fatty acids. Well, that morphed into my interest in total nutrition. So I read everything I could find from an, an author called Linda Clark, who wrote, Deanna, about color therapy way back in the 70s. So I learned about color, the impact of color on healing, on the chakras, on your energy centers. I then found my way into the classroom of Dr. Hazel Parcells, who was the grand dame of nutrition in the early 70s as well. And she was really, I think, the, the, the guiding light that taught me about energy medicine, about the importance of fats, about how sugar was the real nemesis of our diets. And this was back in 1974, which was real heretic, or I should mm-hmm. say dietetic heresy. So I wrote about all these things. Each and every one of my books is a theme that, quite honestly, I would say is related to the work of both Dr. Hazel Parcells and Linda Clark, who's a name most of us don't recognize, Mm -hmm. but she was talking about all of the avant-garde elements of, of detox, of nutrition, of pollution, of radiation, and heavy metal poisoning. See, this is what I so appreciate about you. You really are bringing in, you were, number one, an early adopter. And I have to say that I grew up in the 1970s with a mom who was into Richard Simmons and Adele Davis. I'd come home from school <laughs> and she'd be working out to Richard Simmons on the television and I'd have that Adele Davis bread that I had to take to school. And she was teaching me to read labels at a very young age from the, the time that I could start reading. And so when I hear you say this, I am almost feeling like, goodness, I mean, you are a treasure in that you truly are one of those pioneers that my mom and so many others that were on the cutting edge 
we're, we're really paying attention to. And I, I kind of feel like now in the 21st century with everybody getting into nutrition, sometimes we lose sight of the lineage and where we've come from and all of the pioneers that have really culminated their knowledge along the way. And you by far are one of those early adopters. So I, again, I'm just so grateful to be talking with you because you really have set the groundwork along with your teachers in building the momentum forward. And the good news is that everything that we began in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s is now coming true today, and it's, it's, it's taken as gospel. So what I'm so delighted about is the whole circle coming full round. What we're seeing is the importance of the environment, of the body-mind connection, and of the importance of color, which I'm so grateful uh, to you about, because I believe that color is one of the missing links in healing. Now, that's interesting to hear you say that because I don't hear many experts in nutrition say that color is one of the missing elements in healing. And I'm curious about that. You know, talk more about how does color relate to our health? And it sounds like you've had a fusion of teachers who came from different areas and disciplines, and maybe you have a very amalgamated approach. I'm I'm curious to hear more about what you mean by that. Well, this was very new to me, but way back in the 70s, when I walked into the classroom of Dr. Parcells, she told me a story about the doctor that she had worked with way back in the early 1940s, believe it or not. And this was a Dr. Francis Kohler, who was a German doctor that specialized in color. And he had undertaken quite a lot of research into color in Vienna, I believe. He was very dedicated, and he was looking for all these additional ways to help people who had been injured in the war. So at the research hospital where he was uh, stationed, he and his staff performed all these experiments on laboratory mice, and they took spinal fluid out, which was drawn from the mice and analyzed, and then they found that uh, the mice that had all of these exhausted adrenals, for example, had very little color that Mm. was left in the spinal fluid. They did it through spectrographic analysis, and this was way back in the 40s. So uh, uh, they found that that when they fed the, the mice certain of the colors that were missing, the the mice, they experimented and they enjoyed a a lot of healing. So the body was then returned to a state of balance and wellness, so to speak. So in Dr. Parcell's class, we learned to use a prism and we looked through the prism on a daily basis. And Deanna, what was so interesting to me was that even way back then, there was one color that was missing or, or popped in later when you look through the spectrum. You saw purple, you saw green, you saw yellow, but guess which color was missing? I don't know, maybe a a bluish, an aqua color? I'm not sure. Well, it was very surprising to me, and I don't know the reason behind it, but maybe you, who who are very intuitive in your own right, it was orange. Orange? Oh, no. But the color that was missing for most of these individuals way back then, and I see it with my clients when I tell them to get a prism, is orange. And I know that Mm. orange is very connected to one of the chakra centers as Mm. well as the ability to digest. So... On a daily basis, we would have people actually wear the color orange, interestingly enough. And then, and then they were able to see it when they looked through the prism in the sun. And Louise, I have to tell you this, you know, it, it's so amazing that you just mentioned that because for several years I struggled with endometriosis, a blocked fallopian tube. And this is when I started moving away from nutrition because I felt like food could only take me so far. And I started painting and the paintings that I was making were all orange and pink. 
<laughs> and I couldn't stand do. either color. I didn't like those colors. I never wore orange. I never wore pink. And I have reddish hair. So I was like, I'm, there's no way I'm wearing orange. So it's so interesting that you say that most people were missing orange. Because when I think of orange, I think of playfulness. I think of reproductive health. I think of the creative yes. force in us. Yes, 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 yes. And the sexual centers, which probably yes. are blocked because of all kinds of reasons in terms of the culture but i i find that so phenomenally fascinating and the problem is that so many people in this day and age are wearing black which was one of the colors that we were taught many many years ago way back in the 70s was a color that was a non-color it was a color that was deadening it was a color that was not life-giving and so uh it's a color that i never wear or a non-color i should say that i never wear because of my early my, uh, my early studies with dr parcells the other thing to note that if you want healing on an emotional level and if you want healing on a traumatic level if you've had any type of accident the color to wear is indigo believe it or not which is a combination of red and violet mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and in and, and my system the way I see the indigo is it's connected into the brain and memory too so that makes com- complete sense for me in terms of how do you sift it into um, you know just seeing that in your life you know I'm curious because so much of what you're do you're doing now and what you've written books on is on detox it's on women's health when I think of um, you know the fat flush and just really your focus on digestive health are there colors that you would talk about with digestive health and detox or maybe take us down that path and why that's been an area of expertise for you? Why have you drilled deeply into that particular area? What has called you there? Is it people that you're seeing that have these dysfunctions or is it something that you personally had and explored? What, what takes you into those systems specifically? You know, that's so interesting. And when I think about it, I think it's because I think a lot of people are sick in this day and age because of toxic overload. And it was an area that I learned about many, many moons ago, over 40 years ago with Dr. Parcells and the importance of detox in terms of total health. And again, in in the 1970s, as you well know, Deanna, nobody was talking about this. So I became very interested in the liver, but even more so in the concept of the bile. And bile to me is very brilliant. It's this wonderful yellowish green liquid that the liver produces to the tune of about a quart a day. And it's exceedingly important in this day and age because it's what we use to digest fats. And I look at all of these high fat diets. I look at the paleo diet. I look at the ketogenic diet. I look at the primal diet. I look at my diet, which is a fat flush plan where we talk about essential fats. We need the bile, which helps to emulsify and digest fats. So it's broken down into small particles so that the gut can absorb all of these little particles and then the bile is important specifically because it is a detox method from the liver and it can escort toxins out of the system and break down extra estrogens so to me this is a missing link and yellowish green is the color Mm-hmm. Now, as you're saying that, yeah, it's so beautiful to look at uh, all the functions of bile. Um, my PhD was all about the use of bile in solubilizing fat, so I feel like I have that connection to you in that way. You know, wow. one, of the, one of the things I like to bring up to people, and I'm curious to get your thought because you have a very integrated mind. When we think of bile as a solubilizer, as an emulsifier, helping us to assimilate things like fats, what do you think that this says on a deeper symbolic, perhaps a metaphorical level? Do you see a connection there with, for people that 
have issues with solubilizing fats and they're not good with um, just getting rid of that congestion in in the liver. Do you see that as being connected to something bigger in their lives? I I don't know if you do. I just thought I would pose the question just in case you had some thoughts on that. Well, what what I know intellectually is that if there's an issue with the liver, there's usually uh, an anger issue with the liver. And if there's an issue with the gallbladder, which is the storage tank for the bile, then we have an issue with impatience or frustration or embitterment. So there, there could be something related to that, but I just see it as the inability to integrate in this day and age. People are so regimented, almost like computers. We've lost the ability to connect the dots. And if you don't balance your fats, if you don't metabolize them, then you're going to lose the ability to utilize vitamins A and D and E and K. And those are very important immuno-enhancing fat-soluble vitamins. So I think this is important on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. Oh, I love that. Uh, You really uh, contextualize that nicely. What about the lipophilic toxins? You know, since you are such an expert in detox as well as digestion, the two Ds, I'm kind of curious about that because one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of these different toxins that are in the environment love fat. So as we eat more fat, what's happening? Aren't we taking in more of those fat-loving toxins that will store within our bodies? And what do we do about that? Well, here's the issue. The issue is that all of these fat-loving toxins are stored in the fat. So the problematic issue here is to be able to digest them properly and get them through the liver, which is why you need to keep the bile flowing. It's not just a matter of having the ox bile or the digestive enzymes like lipase to digest the fat, but the bile itself has to be free-flowing and moving so that you're constantly escorting these fat-soluble vitamins and their metabolites out of the system, including a lot of the metabolites for hormones, which is why so many women are estrogen dominant. The issue is not that they're eating necessarily too many estrogenetic foods or there's xenoestrogens in the environment. They're not metabolizing them and breaking them down because their bile is congested and too thickened, so to speak. They're clogged up. So it's a very important element, I think, on all these levels, Deanna. And I must also say that bile is important for thyroid function. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that I learned that nobody really was talking about, and I just kind of, uh, I would say I stumbled on this accidentally, is that bile impacts the thyroid gland, believe it or not. And so the ability to secrete bile has a lot to do with the ability of your thyroid to convert T4 into the active thyroid T3. So bile is the new thyroid cure. Oh my goodness. You know, it's so interesting to see all of these portals in the body and how that connects systemically. So now we're taking bile and going deeper into that and how it even connects to the thyroid. You know, one of the things that enters into my mind if I were listening to this would be, okay, So how do I know if I'm not producing enough bile? How do I know if I'm not digesting fat properly? What would you say to somebody who had those questions? I would say if you have sluggish bile, you've got a pain between your shoulder blades or under the right rib cage, you've got dizziness, you've got light-colored stools. So you've got to start looking at what comes out of your body. So those are the light or clay-colored stools. You're bloated, especially after a fatty meal. You've got radiating leg pain. Or you've got middle-of-the-night sleep disturbances because usually that's connected to the gallbladder. So there are many of these seemingly uh, disorganized symptoms that really show that we don't have enough bile. But if you don't have a thyroid, it's for sure you're not secreting bile when you need to. 
So without a gallbladder, I should say, you're going to need some bile salts or certain foods that will break down the bile so that you can secrete all of your toxins effortlessly and, and seamlessly. So give us some tips on how to build better bile. And so should we be taking bile salts, as you just mentioned, the ox bile? What, what would be your tips there? Uh, well, here's there, there are a number of foods, number one, that we would look at. Lemon and water is a, is a great way to thin the bile. And that's easy for anybody, whether they're vegan or they're a carnivore. And that is taking the juice of half a lemon with hot water first thing in the morning. That will tone and thin the bile nicely for some people. Beets are another bile thinner, as you may know, very high in betaine. So we've got beets and beetroot. Just make sure they're non-GMO because a lot of beetroot is a GMO product in this day and age. You've also got dandelion root tea, which is another bile thinner. It's my suggestion for those that can't tolerate the caffeine in coffee. So dandelion root tea, one or two cups a day. And some people do need bile salts, especially if they do not have their gallbladder. And that you would take with a fatty meal or three times a day. And then we've also got the vegan types of bitters that are on the market from gentian root to, to angelica root. So there are lots of ways to thin the bile. You just have to make this part and parcel of your daily regimen because detox is not a seasonal event anymore. It's a daily routine. It is a daily routine. And, um, you know, these are all such great tips. And one of the ones that I was writing them down as you were saying them, I'm, I'm reflecting for a second on the bitters because this is something that's so ancient. You know, I think of Swedish bitters and I think of the, the bitter greens that stimulate the parietal cells in the stomach to produce more acid. So I kind of feel like these foods and these approaches would have benefit for the entire digestive system, it would seem. Oh, absolutely, because bitter is better. I think that's our mantra. <clears throat> bitter is better. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And, and you know, um, one thing that I like to do with folks is to have them taste a bitter strip, uh, a little strip of paper with a little bit of a bitter substance on it called PTC, just to see if they are a bitter taster or not a bitter taster. Many people know whether or not they're a bitter taster, but it looks like from the literature and what I know, and I'd like to get your view on this, that people that can taste bitter and that are more tuned into it seem to have better digestive health and metabolic flexibility. And I'm just kind of curious about your thought on that. Oh, 100%. And bitter is the taste that we're lacking in the American diet. So that's number one. And bitter is very important for triggering the release of bile from the gallbladder. That's number two. And of course, if you no longer have your gallbladder, bitters are going to be very helpful in assisting in fat digestion. So when we look at bitters, we look at radicchio, we look at arugula, we look at watercress, we look at escarole. Dandelion routine is also considered a bitter, as is horseradish, believe it or not. So all of these are very well known for assisting in bile thinning and decongestion. Uh, I'm a big believer that bitter is better for all of us, whether we're adults, whether we're, we're children, whether we're teens, but bitter is an important taste to cultivate. And one of the most important bitter drinks on the market today is none other than coffee, which is why I feel that one cup is a tonic and more than that can be a poison. I think that bitter taste of the coffee, the coffee bitters, the, the acids that the coffee is, consists of is very important for detoxification and dumping the bile. And Louise, can we still have decaf coffee and get that same effect or is caffeine a catalyst to that? You know, it's really a particular acid and it should be full-fledged 
coffee made from the higher altitudes, believe it or not. They have the most of the polyphenols in this particular acid. It should be a medium roast, and I'd say one cup if you want to put a little coconut oil in there or a little bit of real butter in there, maybe a, a drop of stevia to give it a little whatever to take off the edge. That would be helpful, but it really is the full coffee itself. Very good. And what about, uh, let's go the other direction, coffee enemas. I know that there's a lot of talk <laughs> about them. I mean, I just have to ask you because I get the question all the time. I want to hear your take on it. Oh, I love coffee enemas. There's nothing like the coffee <laughs> I mean, I personally don't take coffee in through the mouth. So, uh, But I'm a big believer in coffee enemas and certainly in, in colon hydrotherapy as well. But it's not just a coffee enema that's important for the system to kind of dump the bile and get rid of some of the toxins. There are also holds that you do, coffee holds, if you want to clear up your sinuses. You take a little bit of coffee in your mouth and you hold it for about 10 to 15 minutes. You can actually start draining the sinuses. That's number one. There's a vaginal hold too, a coffee vagina hold, which we need not go into in terms of this podcast, but you can put coffee in every imaginable orifice that the human body is constructed of. Well, wait just a second. I kind of want to go into that vaginal hold. How long do you hold it in the vagina? Same amount, about 10 to 15 minutes? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm researching it for a new project, oh, <laughs> and, okay. I, 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 and I and I don't have enough information about it, but I know that it, it's considered to be exceedingly helpful for women that have had fibroids and difficulties mm. with intercourse. Mm-hmm. So it's something to definitely look forward to. Oh, my goodness. All the many uses of coffee. I think this is great. My mom will be so glad. She's already a fan of yours, and now that you like coffee and you're singing her, her coffee tune, she's going to be even happier. <laughs> it's good to hear. And Louise, what about fats? Let's talk a little bit about dietary fats and oils um, and, you know, all the talk about omega-3 supplementation, fish oil, algal oil, you know, what's kind of your best practices and what do you even do for yourself? Do you take supplements or do you just do it through your diet, through your food or give us your take on that? No, I'm a big supplement taker. And I wrote about oils way back then in 1988 in a a book called Beyond Pritikin, where I really took on the whole low-fat, high-carbohydrate industry and was really hung out to dry, so to speak, because there's a little before the time. I was a little before the curve. But here's what I'm going to say about that. I think that essential fats are important. And yes, the omega-3s are important, whether that's the algal oil, which is new to the marketplace, whether that's the krill oil, whether that's the purslane, or whether that's a high uh, EPA, DHA fish oil. But I'm a big believer that we need omega-6s and that omega-6 has been getting kind of the dirty end of the stick because we haven't realized that the whole omega-6s that are not refined and are not processed are exceedingly important for the skin and to keep the skin taut and really tight during weight loss. So I'm a big believer in hemp seed oil. I love hemp seed oil. It's got a three to one ratio, omega-6 to omega-3 and it's protective against radiation. So I think it's got the best of both worlds. I love that idea. And to use hemp seed oil in dressings, right? We don't want to heat that. Exactly. You don't want to heat any omega-3 or omega-6 because they're essential fatty acids and they are not good with heat, air, or light. But gee, it makes a magnificent dressing and kids will actually like it and it will clear up their skin in no time at all. So two tablespoons a day will keep pimples away. That'll keep them uh, compliant and on target with that. You know, it's interesting that you open this up by talking about skin, and that was really your thrust into this whole area of health and, and really looking to your skin and wanting to look better. 
Are there other things that you have found out along the way? I mean, everything that you've talked about so far ties right into skin health. There are other colorful phytonutrients that I have seen that seem to be really important, things like lutein, which is found in green leafy vegetables. But I'm just curious, since skin was your entry point and that, um, you know, we only feel as good as we feel in our skin is my view. And I also struggled with acne and all kinds of things growing up. And I still, you know, I have to be careful. My skin is very sensitive. And so I'm right there with you. Are there any other tips for our listeners on skin health and what we can do? Uh, I have found that there are very important minerals for skin health. And I have found that even at this age, and I'm well past 50 at this stage and age of my life, I think it's important to use zinc, to have a high zinc intake, whether that's with a supplement of about 50 milligrams a day or taking in zinc through pumpkin seeds or maybe eggs or maybe whole, I would say, unprocessed uh, grain-like seeds, whether that might be millet or whether that might be quinoa or even buckwheat, but we want something that's very high in zinc. We also have to stay away from those foods that are very high in copper, which I'm finding is very consistent with high estrogen levels. So I'm a big believer in zinc. Zinc is associated with progesterone, which is very good for the skin, and it opposes copper, which is associated with estrogen. And in too, too much of a good thing can be really detrimental to the skin. So zinc, I I tell people to think zinc. Oh my goodness, what a great pearl you've just given us. So the connection between zinc and progesterone and copper and estrogen and how many women are, and even men, can be estrogen dominant. That is fantastic. What a great pearl. Do you have a certain ratio? I know that sometimes in nutrition we talk about ratios of zinc to copper and um, do you have any other... Do you like certain forms of zinc? Just any other tips on zinc that you think would be important to note as we start thinking about supplementation? I like zinc gluconate. I love the gluconates, Deanna. I have Mm -hmm. found over the years that they work the best. So I'm in love with zinc gluconate, number Mm -hmm. one. And the ratio should be about eight to one zinc to copper. But the problem that we're finding, and this is for all the vegans out there, is that a vegan diet is very high in copper. And it's one of the reasons that vegans can have problems with their skin, their hair, their nails. uh, And maybe you're a little bit ungrounded sometimes. So we, we need more of the zinc, which is a very grounding mineral. And very important for the hair and skin health. Very good, as a matter of fact, for nails. And of course, it's an antiviral. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. How inspiring. And I just ordered some more zinc today. So this puts me right back there and really, you know, feeling it as I'm taking it. I know it in my head. And and sometimes having that emotion and having a reason and, and having that top of mind is so it's just important for keeping us on track. And Louise, I, I kind of feel like, goodness, I'd love to just talk with you um, about your experience. You, you have so much depth of knowledge. And what I want to do in our closing minutes is to talk about perhaps three wisdoms that you have gleaned over all of these years, over all of these decades. You know, three for me is a number of creativity. So I always like the the triad. So I'm kind of curious, you know, from the time that you started in the 1970s with a lot of your teachers who are really cutting edge pioneers until now, what are three things that you would say that you've observed over time that are consistent, true, and things that we all need to be bringing in to our lives. Like these things have withstood the test of time and they're not going away. <laughs> so what, oh. what might be your new, three nutritional wisdoms for us as we close? 
Okay, I would suggest that number one, it's not always your fault, you're fat. I believe there are hidden weight gain factors, whether it's your thyroid, whether it's your adrenals, whether it's parasites, or whether it's fat and chemicals that are really doing us in and weighing us down. So there is an environmental assault that needs to be taken into consideration. That's number one. And then number two, I think what's very important is that we learn to sleep throughout the night, that sleep will never be out of style. And that one of the ways that we do that is making our bedrooms into a sleeping haven and making sure there is no, no, no digital anything in the room, no electricity, no nothing, so that we shut off and disable the wireless router at night. That's a very big one because that has to do with environmental toxicity of the great amount of radio frequency that's now in the air 24-7. So that is not your fault. Uh, sleep will never go out of style. And then last but not least, I think it's the, important to be, the importance of being grateful and having a healing community, whether it's a virtual community or whether it's people, Deanna, that are tuning into your podcast, your wonderful podcast, where they feel a sense of camaraderie. You know, what's fascinating is that the three that you just gave us are all so beautifully comprehensive. And it's almost like your view into nutrition has taken you into really seeing people's lives as a bigger whole, right? It, that what we're eating connects to how we're living in some way. Very true. So really beautiful. So let me just do a quick recap for listeners. So number one, that the hidden weight gain factors are... Uh, there, there are a number of them. It's not just that you're eating too much. You may not even be eating all that much, and you can still be putting on weight, toxins, etc. so many things. Number two, about sleeping through the night, getting rid of all the, the EMFs around, just turning off the digital interface. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And number three, really coming from the heart and being grateful and having that sense of community, which is oh so important. In fact, I was just uh, listening. There was a TED Talk floating around about the factors of longevity, and I know that Dan Butner has done a great job of this in Blue Zones. The, the talk that I was listening to was looking at some newer data showing that up at the top of the list was social integration. Social. Yes. Mm-hmm. I saw the same one. It's fascinating, and I agree with it 100%. Yeah, so just great wisdom. And, um, you know, Anne Louise, you've written over 30 books on a variety of different health topics. And I want you just to, if you can, just for the listeners, what book out of everything that you've written do they need to be reading right now? Because it really does address a lot of the current issues and a lot of the current health complaints that people have. I mean, all of them are great. However, if we were just to pick from one, maybe it's your most recent one, which one would it be? Uh, I think it's the new Fatless Plan, Deanna, because many people still need to lose weight. We need to harness the healing power of foods. We need to fight our cellulite. We need to restore our liver and gallbladder function. And we need to exercise properly and get rid of stress. So I think it takes into consideration all these things that we've chatted about today. Mm, I couldn't agree more. All right. This has been a fantastic conversation. Anne Louise, how do people reach you? What would be the best ways? I know you've got a website, you've got a Facebook page. I mean, just how do we reach you and and your teachings, your, your workshops, anything that you're doing? AnneLouise.com and sign up for our blog. AnneLouise.com, the blog sign up is on the homepage. We're doing a, a reboot of that entire website very shortly, but I'd love to hear from any and all of your wonderful listeners and, you know, keep in touch. And also your Facebook page, which is Anne Louise Gittleman. And so definitely 
jump onto her Facebook page, like the page, start engaging. This is great information. And Louise, I, I feel like this has been, I have goosebumps. I just have to tell you this. I'm being completely honest. I feel very emotional about this podcast. I don't normally feel like I'm bursting out of my skin and super excited. And I really have this infusion because I, I feel like, um, again, you are a way shower. You are a beacon of light for the industry. And I, um, the, the contributions that you've made to the fields, all of your books, your radiant presence to all of us, I'm incredibly appreciative of. And I can't wait to tell my mom that I had this conversation with you. So thank you. <laughs> That's so sweet. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.